This podcast is made possible by Lily. Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Dr. Matthew Getz is Professor of Oncology and Pharmacology at the Mayo Clinic. At the European Society for Medical Oncology Congress 2022, Dr. Getz presented interim overall survival results from the Monarch 3 study, which is comparing the targeted therapy Versenio plus an aromatase inhibitor to an aromatase inhibitor alone to treat hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, advanced stage breast cancer. He joins us to discuss the results. Dr. Getz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jamie. Look forward to speaking with you. So to start, just so we're all kind of on the same page and everybody knows what we're talking about, could you tell us what kind of treatment Verzenio is, how it works, and how it's currently used? So Verzenio, or and I'll refer to it as a bemaciclib, which is the generic name, is a oral CDK4 and 6 inhibitor. Uh, it is a medication that is currently approved for the treatment of estrogen receptor positive or hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer in patients who have metastatic disease. It's approved right now in the U.S. um, and and globally for patients in the first line and second line setting. And in that situation, it's approved in the combination with hormonal therapy. It's also approved as monotherapy uh, in patients who've had prior progression on Uh, chemotherapy as well as hormonal therapy. And then more recently in the last uh, uh, year or so, it it was approved in the U.S. by the FDA in the adjuvant setting for patients with a high risk, uh, meaning high stage ER positive HER2 negative breast cancer in the adjuvant setting. Okay, thank you. So could you summarize the Monarch 3 study for us? What were you looking at? What were you trying to do with that? So the Monarch 3 was a, a clinical trial testing uh, whether the addition of abemaciclib to standard hormonal therapy uh, would ap- improve progression-free survival. And progression-free survival in this situation is a, a standard way that we assess efficacy of drugs in the metastatic setting. And there are three CDK4-6 inhibitors that are out there. Uh, the first one to market uh, was palbociclib, sometimes referred to as Ibrantz, and then uh, ribociclib was the second, and then abemaciclib was the third. And really, in these trials that have tested these CDK4-6 inhibitors, when we've looked at the outcome of progression-free survival, and we look across the trials that have tested these CDK4-6 inhibitors, we've seen that the benefit in terms of progression-free survival seems really quite the same. And so uh, most investigators have said, well, these drugs are interchangeable. You can simply use, pick which one you want based on side effects. Perhaps uh, some particular uh, insurance companies have developed contracts with a particular CDK4-6 inhibitor, but they're really all the same. And that's kind of what people have thought. What has been emerging is the fact that when we've uh, looked at the secondary endpoints 
of overall survival. So now we're simply asking the question of, do you live longer if you take these drugs than if you don't take the drug, which is quite a bit different question, but a very, very important question. And the answer is we've, we've been getting conflicting data. So with the drug ribociclib, um, we have very consistent data in the first and second line settings, both in premenopausal as well as in postmenopausal patients, that the addition of ribociclib to hormonal therapy improves overall survival. With abemaciclib, uh, we've had one trial report out in the second line setting, uh, which is the Monarch II trial, demonstrating that abemaciclib when added to hormonal therapy, in this case, fulvestrant, improved not just progression-free survival, but it also improved overall survival. In contrast, for pavlociclib, uh, we have not yet seen the addition of pavlociclib to hormonal therapy improves overall survival, uh, either in the Paloma-1 trial or the Paloma-3 trial. And, and the, the major first-line trial that was just recently reported out for pavlociclib back at ASCO was really hit the news and created even more controversy because that trial showed that the addition of pavlociclib to, in this case, to standard hormonal therapy or letrozole did not improve overall survival. So with that in mind, you know, the, the data for Monarch 3 have been, uh, which is the, the trial that I reported at ESMO, have been eagerly awaited because uh, there's this controversy now. Some of these drugs appear to improve survival, some of them do not. And so with that in mind, what I presented at ESMO was the second planned interim overall survival for this particular compound. And so stepping back, this trial has already shown that the addition of results of this trial showed that the addition of abemaciclib to hormonal therapy improves progression-free survival. So now what we're reporting is the second interim overall survival analysis. So that, that's the background here. Okay, before we get to the results, I, I just want to ask one question. Sorry to interrupt. The difference between progression-free survival and overall survival. To me, and I'm not a scientist, if a drug improved progression-free survival, it would seem that it would probably improve overall survival, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. So could you, I guess, help me understand why we would see that disconnect? Sure. So progression-free survival uh, is something that measures the time until a particular event occurs. And in this situation, an event typically is going to mean progression of, of disease. So I'll give you an example. A patient is taking a medication. They have a diagnosis of metastatic cancer, and they're doing well, and approximately one year later, their cancer progresses. So that would be considered an event. Now, we know that for the treatment of ER-positive HER2-negative breast cancer that you might have progressive disease, but there, there are many other therapies that might be uh, available for an individual to take. Um, that could include, you know, chemotherapy. It could include a drug like a PI3 kinase inhibitor if you happen to have a PIK3C mutation. It could be a, a, an antibody drug conjugate. So there, there are many other drugs. So progression-free survival is measuring time to that first event. Now, sometimes that first event could be death, but that's fairly rare. Uh, that first event is usually going to be a progression event. 
So we would expect then that that gain, so in this case, the CDK4-6 inhibitors have a large progression-free survival gain. We would expect, as you just said, is that that gain would continue to be there all the way out to death. So we would not expect then that the curves would come back together. And so um, in this situation, why might the curves come back together? So why might progression-free survival gain be lost? Well, it's possible that, you know, patients are receiving, are, are crossing over and receiving the CDK4-6 inhibitor uh, that they didn't get when they were originally randomized. That's a possibility. There may be other issues as well. But I would say in general, when we run trials, we expect that the PFS advantage will translate into an overall survival advantage. Okay. And is it possible that someone like the cancer could become resistant to the particular medicine and then that would sort of bring the, as you said, bring the curves back together? Well, I think that's a real good question. And that it, that might be, for example, you know, in, in the case of a drug that's working while you're taking it, it's possible that at the time that the cancer cells become resistant to a medication, that resistant phenotype can be more aggressive than when the cancer was originally diagnosed. And so that's a possibility in that scenario that all of a sudden the cancer cells begin to grow faster, they're more aggressive, and then therefore when uh, a medication is stopped, uh, you, you sort of then lose the benefit that was seen while you were taking the medication. Okay, thank you. That's very helpful. So now getting back to Monarch 3, could you summarize the results for us? What did you discover? So uh, what we found was that the addition of abemaciclib uh, to standard hormonal therapy improved overall survival in the intent-to-treat population by about 12 months. So in the patients that were receiving the placebo plus aromatase inhibitor arm, so these patients were receiving either letrozole plus anastrozole, uh, the median survival was 54 months. In those patients that received the aromatase inhibitor plus abemaciclib, the median overall survival was 67 months. And this corresponded to a hazard ratio of 0.754, which essentially means that there is a, approximately a 24% improvement in the overall survival for patients who received abemaciclib versus placebo. Now, the p-value here was 0.0301. And importantly, because this was a interim analysis for overall survival, the stopping boundary was not crossed. And so what does that mean? That means that even though uh, the p-value in this case is less than 0.05, that because the stopping boundary was not crossed, we didn't stop the study conduct, and we will continue to follow patients until we get the final overall survival results. But I think what we can say is that these data are maturing quite favorably, and we're seeing, uh, and as I said earlier, a difference in median overall survival uh, by uh, over 12 months. The second thing that we looked at uh, was also pre-planned, and this is looking at overall survival in those patients with visceral disease. Patients who have visceral disease, we know, have a higher risk for progression. They tend to have a worse outcome, and specifically in those patients who have liver metastases. This is something that's been known for quite some time. One of the things that has been seen with the drug abemaciclib 
is that this medication appears to work particularly well in patients who have estrogen receptor positive or hormone receptor positive breast cancer that uh, is resistant or tends to be more resistant to standard hormonal therapy. And so we were quite interested to see whether the addition of abemaciclib uh, to standard hormonal therapy could improve outcomes in this group of patients with more aggressive disease. And indeed, what we found was that the addition of abemaciclib to hormonal therapy improved overall survival uh, from 48.8 months up to 65.1 months in this group of patients with visceral disease. And this corresponded to about a 29% improvement in overall survival uh, with a p-value of 0.0392. And again, this did not cross the boundary for what we would refer to as statistical significance because it's at an early time. But again, we would say these data are maturing very favorably. And I would say that in, in my estimation, seeing a greater than 16-month improvement in overall survival in this uh, very aggressive group of uh, a group of patients with aggressive disease is really quite impressive. It sounds like it. I do want to clarify, just so everybody knows, visceral disease, you mentioned the liver, but that could also be the lungs or any other sort of soft organ. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? That's right. So patients who have visceral disease, we typically think of either lung or liver. Now, it can include people that have bone, but they would have to have bone, let's say bone plus liver or bone plus lung. Okay, thank you. As far as I know, there are no studies that have compared the CDK4-6 inhibitors head-to-head. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, And there is one planned study that actually, uh, um, in plan meaning I, I actually believe it's already activated in Europe. This is the Harmonia study which is looking at a a subset of patients uh, with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer who have the so-called HER2 enriched uh, group of of, uh, ER positive HER2 negative breast cancer. And in that trial, they're making a a direct comparison of ribociclib versus palbociclib. And and so that's really the only head-to-head trial uh, that I am aware of at this time. And again, it's restricted to a subset of patients. Okay. So earlier in the podcast, you said initially after the results from the uh, first studies on CDK4-6 inhibitors came in, most doctors thought, okay, these are interchangeable. Now we're getting these overall survival results. It sounds like they're not so interchangeable. So what do these latest results from Monarch 3, what do they mean for me if I'm diagnosed with metastatic hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer? You know, can you sort of put this in context for us? So this is really the uh, million dollar question that <laughs> right. uh, that, every, that we have to address. And you know, when we look at the CDK4-6 inhibitors, one of the things that I state when I'm commonly giving uh, talks upon this subject and, and when I'm speaking to other investigators is we should really never look at one trial in isolation. So, for example, um, had we only the, the data from Paloma 2 where we saw that there was, again, a large improvement in progression-free survival but uh, no improvement in overall survival, I think most of us would be quite comfortable in saying, well, 
overall survival was not a primary endpoint, it was a secondary endpoint. And there are some reasons why overall survival may not be improved with palbociclib, so therefore this shouldn't change our practice. But I think what we have to do is we have to look at the data in its entirety. Palbociclib has been a very good drug, and we've used it for quite some time, but why we are not seeing an uh, improvement in overall survival uh, certainly is curious, but we have not seen an improvement in overall survival either in Paloma 1, Paloma 2, or Paloma 3. Uh, and then furthermore, when the drug was tested in the adjuvant setting in Penelope and Palace, there was no improvement in an invasive disease-free survival. So that tells us that this drug seems to be working when you take it, but once you stop taking it, you sort of lose the benefit, if I were to use those term, that terminology. So again, as we look at ribociclib, uh, we see the PFS advantage translated into an improvement in overall survival. And we're beginning to clearly see that with the drug bemociclib, certainly for Monarch 2. Uh, for Monarch 3, of course, we have to uh, wait for the final overall survival data because right now we haven't reached statistical significance, but I think everybody can see that the data are really uh, maturing quite favorably. And of course, with abemaciclib, we know that the drug works in the adjuvant setting, so it's it's really improving outcomes there. So what is the take-home point? I, I, I tell my colleagues and, and patients that when I'm having a conversation uh, with patients, I share them the data. And when I share the, these data to patients, they typically say, I, I want to have access to a drug that is improving overall survival. And so we generally will either utilize ribociclib or bemociclib. And are there side effects? I, I believe the side effects are fairly similar, but are there side effect differences between those two that could sway someone's choice? There definitely are. So, you know, uh, abemaciclib is a drug that's given continuously. So that is a, if we think a little bit about the side effect profile of CDK4-6 inhibitors, one of the side effects that you can see is neutropenia or a low white blood cell count. And for the drug ribociclib and palbociclib, the drug is given discontinuously. So that means you you take it for, you know, 21 days and then you have a, a, a break sort of to, to, to give your neutrophils, if you will, a bit of a break, whereas abemaciclib is given uh, continuously. So we tend to see a little bit less issues with you know, uh, neutropenia and in general myelosuppression, which means suppression of the white blood cells, platelets, et cetera. With the drug abemaciclib, it has a unique side effect, and that's diarrhea. And um, when we were first beginning to study abemaciclib um, in some of our earlier phase studies, you know, a diarrhea was a really major issue for patients. But what we've come to discover over the last three, four, five years is that it's quite manageable. Um, it, it, it is manageable with either using the drug modium or with dose reductions. Um, and most people, after a period of time, can have the, the diarrhea managed appropriately. So I think the diarrhea is certainly a unique side effect of hemocyclic, but it can be it can be managed. You know, there are some other side effects with these drugs that tend to be common across them. You know, certainly we see some fatigue. Occasionally we'll see some hair loss, mild hair loss. Um, and so these are, are present. Sometimes we might see a bit of anemia. A rare side effect um, that is seen with all of the CDK4-6 inhibitors is there's a slight risk of blood clots. Uh, that may be magnified if you take, uh, let's say, 
in this case, a drug like abemaciclib, along with tamoxifen, which in itself has a slight risk for blood clots. So we know about some of these uh, uh, side effects, but in general, most of the time they're manageable. Okay. So it sounds like maybe the side effects, even though they're different, they wouldn't be the deciding factor. They're not the deciding factor uh, up front, I think, unless, for example, I have a patient that, let's say, has a underlying history of uh, inflammatory bowel disease um, where sure. there's an issue there with uh, with the gut. I, I might choose a drug that is not going to have diarrhea issues. But uh, again, if we run into an, a particular side effect, we can move to the other CDK4-6 inhibitor. Okay. So then I guess the for me, the bottom line is how do you choose or how do you and your patients choose together? Um, it sounds like they your patients would want to go for the CDK4-6 inhibitor that improves survival and you have two of them. Is it really just, okay, I'm going to try this one or I'm going to try that one? Yeah. So I think that that's a great question. And, and the answer is right now, we don't have that head-to-head data. And so you know, one of the additional pieces of the puzzle I think that's going to be helpful for us is when we get the results of the Natalie trial. The Natalie trial is a trial looking at uh, ribociclib in the adjuvant setting. And I think if we look and, and the Natalie trial is positive, then we can look across and say, listen, ribociclib uh, improves uh, outcomes in every setting, that is in the metastatic in the early stage setting. With the drug abemaciclib, uh, the pieces of the puzzle are coming together as well. It's, it's improving outcomes in the metastatic and in the adjuvant setting. So my sense here in, in, in my conversations with patients are going to be, I'm going to choose a drug that has a proven survival advantage and probably individualized based on the patient's preferences, the potential toxicity profiles, their past medical history, and knowing that if they run into problems, we can switch to another one. Okay. Okay, Dr. Katz, thank you so much. This has been so helpful and informative. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.